Thank you, Richard. Thank you all. Good afternoon. It is just afternoon. Um, as Richard said, we're continuing in the series Sit at His Feet. And we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. If you have a Bible with you, it'd be great if you could turn to that. If not, it's going to be on the screen behind us. So Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 7. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these words of truth. We thank you for this series, Sit at His Feet, that we've been going through, the opportunity to hear about you and to receive from you. And we pray this morning that you would minister to us again and that we would approach your throne of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as, as uh, Richard said, we're the penultimate in the series, uh, Sit at His Feet, and we're really looking at the char- characteristics of God. And this morning, we're looking at, and the, the title really would be that God is rich in mercy and kindness. That God is rich in mercy and kindness. Now, with the recent prolonged spell of hot weather, some people love it, some people have not been so supportive, but there have been a lot of clear nights. And uh, I'm no astronomer, but I like to sit out, and a few weeks ago, a few days ago, I looked out, looked at the stars above, and there was one particular bright star on the horizon. And I wondered which one it was. So I opened up, there's an app on the phone called Skyview, and you can hold your phone to the sky, it uses augmented Reality and it paints a picture, it tells you all of the stars and the planets and the solar system and the constellations and even the International Space Centre. And I held my phone up at the, at the night sky and towards that star, and it was the star of Jupiter, the planet Jupiter. And as I held my phone up there, the, um, the phone told me all sorts of information about the planet. Fascinating. It's the biggest planet in the solar system, it's the third brightest object in the night sky, second to Venus and the moon. Jupiter's 318 times the size of planet Earth and two and a half times the size of all the planets together in our solar system. Jupiter's a gas giant. It's made of hydrogen and helium and methane, ammonia. It doesn't actually have a solid surface. It has 80 moons and it's the fastest rotating planet in the solar system. One day takes 10 hours. Now, these are really interesting characteristics of the planet Jupiter, aren't they? And we could spend the whole morning looking at and unpacking just one of these factors about the planet of Jupiter. 
But I don't think you'd be very built up and edified from that. You know, we could even spend time in small groups, but it would make a, a jot of difference to our lives. And actually, the same goes for a lot in life. I mean, over the next few weeks and months, pundits are going to be talking, sports pundits will be talking about football and rugby and the characteristics of the, the teams and the players, and it's the most important thing. And I get that, it is important. But really, does it have a huge impact on our lives? It might bring moments of joy and sadness as the season progresses. But does it really, do these factors, do these characteristics really have a big impact on our lives? Well, over the last few months on Sunday mornings, we've been looking at the characteristics, the many characteristics of God. God is gentle and humble. He's the lion and the lamb, the suffering servant. He's full of joy. He's full of power. He's full of wisdom. My priest, my friend, my intercessor, my advocate. These characteristics of God that we've been sitting at his feet looking at, they're encouraging, they're interesting, but they also have a significant impact on our lives. Because they're not just the characteristics of God, we receive these from God too. God who created the stars and the planet Jupiter is wisdom and he gives us wisdom. God is joy and he gives us joy. He's power and God gives us power. Friendship, forgiveness. And God is rich in mercy and kindness and he gives us his mercy and kindness. And we're going to have a chance today to receive again from his riches of mercy and kindness. So this series is not just about the characteristics of God, it's also about us receiving from him. You know, I think it's fair to say we all need to receive joy. We all need to receive wisdom. We all need to receive God's forgiveness and his kindness. We need to receive his friendship. And whether Some people are watching online or later on or in the room. That's what we have a chance to do today, to receive his richness and kindness. So what is God's mercy? What is God's mercy and his kindness? Well, there were many games that we used to play at school, at secondary school. And one of those games, most of them were pretty harmless, but one of those games was a bit painful. It was a game of mercy. Some of you might recall playing it. Probably be banned now in schools, but the game of mercy... It was very simple. You would clamp hands with your opponent, both hands, and you would twist and squeeze the opponent's hand until they cried for mercy. <laughs> a really simple game. We used to play it all the time. I was quite good at it because I've got big hands. And um, I recall playing mercy many times, and of course the person would frantically cry, mercy, 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 and you would let go because it hurt. It was painful, and you'd let go. Now, I don't think mercy will ever be an Olympic sport, but judo is an Olympic sport, and in judo... There is a term called matter, and in matter is, is the term when an individual is in a headlock or an armlock, they're on the floor, and a matter is when they tap two times. See, some people know about this. Two times, two times on the floor or on the opponent, and matter is give up. It means give up. And, of course, when somebody taps, the opponent who's winning lets them go, and mercy. It's a call for mercy. For those who have watched that program where celebrities get put into a perspex coffin and oh, just thinking about it and snakes and scorpions are poured into that coffin 
I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, is a cry for mercy. <laughs> it's a cry, help, please end this suffering. They're all examples of where the individual is in some way suffering and they need mercy. They need the suffering to end. The receiver of mercy is in trouble and the giver of mercy relieves that trouble. Mercy is described in the dictionary as compassion shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish, harm, or end the suffering. Compassion. So mercy is good. It's kindness. It is compassion. And when we read the account of Jesus' life in the Gospels, we see how full of mercy he was to those that were suffering. The blind man cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. And the Lord said, your faith has healed you. And he was healed of his blindness. The lepers, the ten lepers and other lepers, uh, a, a skin disease that made them unclean and despised. And they cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and said, be clean. The grieving mother whose son has died, she, her husband and now her son has died. She has no hope. She's at the depths of despair. And Jesus had pity on her. Do not weep, he said. And he raised him from the dead. This was a lavish display of Jesus' mercy of ending suffering. He had the power to do so. There's no mention there of her faith. There's no mention there of her sin. He just lavished his mercy upon her and gave her her son back. And now all of these people, all those examples of people that are suffering physically in some way. They were suffering through sickness or even death. But we read one of the well, most well-known parables in the Gospels of somebody that was suffering because of something they had done wrong. Their own sin. The parable of the prodigal son, a young man who asked for his inheritance before it was due, effectively saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. And he asks for his inheritance, he receives it. And as we read the parable, he goes away and lives a, a greedy, selfish, sinful lifestyle, squanders his inheritance and is found feeding pigs, desperate, lowest of the low. But it was his sin that put him there. He had made his bed and now he was lying in it. And we read the story of how he just didn't have anything to eat and even wanted to feed on the pods that were being given to the pigs. What this young prodigal son needed was mercy and forgiveness of his sin, what he had done wrong. And as we see him approaching the father, the father runs towards him, arms out wide, in love, accepting him back. The father had to forgive him to do that. Who knows when he forgave him? Was it when he was approaching with his head bowed down in shame? But the father forgave him of his sin and he was restored. So God is rich in mercy for our physical needs, but he's also rich in mercy in forgiving us of our sin. Paul says in Ephesians, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. 
All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its evil desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So here's the question. Does Paul's letter to the Ephesians there, 2,000 over 2,000 years ago, what relevance does that have to us today? You know, it's fair to say that the church in Ephesus was clearly needing this letter from Paul because of what he saw. But what about us? What about uh, the, the culture in which we're living in today? Now, it's fair to say the human race has advanced significantly since this letter was written. In science, we've sent people to the moon, we've sent telescopes into the sky to star, to, to, to gaze into millions of light years away. We... We have made really rapid advances as well. I mean, the speed at which things are advancing, the, the amount of memory that was in the Nokia 6210 phone. Remember those? The game Snake on it. That had more memory in it than was in the entire space station, Apollo 13, that sent a man to the moon. The advancement is phenomenal. I remember I always feel quite old when I tell my, my sons that uh, when I was younger, the, the idea of a cordless phone was a real big novelty in a home. And, and, and now the iPhone's been around for just 15 years. It's just rapid advancement in technology, the intellect of man. But with all of these rapid advances, these sheer incredible developments that we're seeing, there's one thing we have not solved. There's one thing we will not resolve, and that is man and woman's tendency and innate desire to sin, to live a selfish life, to live a life independent of God. We haven't resolved the problem of being dead in our transgressions that Paul writes about here. Switch on the news or read a newspaper for 60 seconds and you'll see that the suffering in the world, most of the suffering in the world, is caused by the sin of man or, as Paul puts it here also, the, the, the ruler of the spirit of the air, which is the devil. We can see that. It's so evident. And we were chatting as a home group, as a small group, quite recently about sharing our faith and we've heard some brilliant examples of of people stepping out and sharing faith and the good news of the gospel with others and telling their own story and we were identifying that one of the challenges can be that the topic of sin is a bit of a taboo I think it's fair to say in our modern culture we've kind of sanitized sin now the term living in sin is really seen as old-fashioned Victorian term now you know, and the, the word greed is it was ambition, it's healthy ambition, and envy is kind of fear of missing out. Now, I get that, and some of these phrases are actually quite helpful to describe how, how people are feeling, but there's a danger that culture can really sanitize sin. My grandmother's a good person. It's a kind of catch-all phrase for the reality of sin. You know, the truth is, we all sin. I sin, you sin, your parents sin, your children sin, your friends sin, the Pope sins, the highest imam sins, Buddhist monks sin, the most virtuous charity worker sins. That is the reality. That is the truth. Everyone, the Bible says, has fallen short of God's standard. And we found cures for many diseases. But there's no pill that you can take three times a day that rids the human heart of envy and anger and lust and greed and selfishness and racism and sexism or any other discrimination that exists 
which are rooted in pride and hatred. Sin is all in all of us and it is about all of us. And that's why we need God's mercy. We're all dead in our sins and the consequences of sin is death and the ruler of the spirit of the air comes to steal, to kill and destroy. We need mercy. We need God's mercy. One author puts it this way, Dance C. Ortland. Christ was sent not to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people. Christ was sent to raise dead people. Our sins are less like an otherwise healthy person occasionally tripping up and more like a person who is disease-ridden from head to foot or, as Paul puts it, dead. It's true, isn't it? So that's why we need mercy. But here's the good news of God's mercy, as we read in Ephesians. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Isn't this great news? God in his mercy does not just forgive us of our sins. He raises us up. He seats us in heavenly places, far above the powers of this world and darkness. We are seated with him. We are thrown with him. It's a spiritual mystery, but that is where we now are. The prodigal son was not just forgiven of his sins. He was restored back to a place of honour. He was given a place at the head table again even though he wanted to come back as a servant. That is abundant mercy that the Father showed. And that is what Jesus does with us. He lifts us up and restores us. And God's mercy is not just a one-off experience we receive when we first put our faith in Jesus. We need to continue to receive his mercy and his forgiveness every day. When we read in Hebrews 4.14 and this, the, the writing is to believers here. Since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In our time of need. And here the writer is, as I said, addressing believers in their time of need. And it's fair to say that we all have times of need to receive God's mercy. And how do we receive it? Well, we approach his throne of grace with boldness and confidence. I think we'd all agree that putting our faith in Jesus does not put an end to temptation in life. We must realise, though, that temptation is is not sin. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet he was without sin. So when we do feel tempted to be angry or to to gossip or to to do wrong in, in, in some way, we must not feel ashamed. Yes, we feel disappointed and we feel grieved and we bring that to God. But we must approach God's throne of grace, with, of, of mercy, with confidence. We can cry, Lord, have mercy. 
and he has mercy. I think, unfortunately, sometimes we can be full of judgment and condemnation to ourselves. We can think God's full of judgment and condemnation towards us instead of rich in mercy and kindness. For some, self-condemnation, self-criticism can really get in the way of approaching God's throne room of grace and mercy. I wonder, do you ever struggle with nagging, condemning, judgmental, critical thoughts? I know I do sometimes, and it's something I think a lot struggle with, but British clinical psychologist Paul Gilbert, he's the author and founder of Compassion Therapy, said these words, People with high shame and self-criticism often reveal that they use a cold, bullying or aggressive inner tone to try to change their thoughts and behaviours. Well, the Holy Spirit will never use a cold, bullying or aggressive tone. He will never use a cold, bullying or aggressive tone. He loves you. He is rich in mercy and grace. He's compassionate towards you. And sometimes we need to ask God to help us to see ourselves and speak to ourselves in the way that he does. Precious sons and daughters, amen, who need his strength, who need his Holy Spirit and to approach his throne in our time of need. Maybe you need to show yourself some mercy. Ortland goes on to say this fantastic quote. The Christian life is a lifelong shedding of tepid thoughts of the goodness of God. He is infinitely overflowing in goodness. His is good to a profuseness. He is good to the pouring forth of riches. He is good to an abundance. He is a fountain of mercy. He is a billionaire in the currency of mercy. And the withdrawals we make as we sin our way through life causes his mercy to greater, not less. A billionaire in the currency of mercy. A couple of weeks ago, Ellie and I went up to Sheffield to see some family. And then we headed up to Bradford to visit Stuart and Gaynor. They were leaders here many years ago. Many of you remember Stuart and Gaynor. They're doing really well. And um, before we uh, went over to Bradford, we stopped off uh, in a village called Holmfirth in Yorkshire. It's actually the village where Last of the Summer Wine was recorded. I'm not a huge fan, but that's an interesting piece of information. But anyway, we stayed off in Holmworth for the night. Before we uh, stayed, I was looking at somewhere to stay and... I came across a hotel, and 10 minutes from the hotel was a place called Folly Dolly Falls. Uh, In Yorkshire, I thought, that's interesting. That's somewhere we could go, go for a walk to Folly Dolly Falls. It's hot. It would be great to see it, too. Um, So I Googled it, and it said, in the article about it, it said, Hidden Yorkshire, Folly Dolly Falls is an impressive beauty spot that is well hidden. And there were photos of Folly Dolly Falls that people posted um, online, and it was a really nice, impressive waterfall, and... You know, there was instructions also on how to find the falls. So we parked up our car. I put a towel and trunks and some rock shoes, because it was a really hot day, some rock shoes um, in, in the bag, because it was a bit of an adventure. And uh, as we parked up, we heard the river running below, below us in the, in the valley, and we headed and we followed the instructions to Folly Dolly Falls. And um, the instructions is getting to the waterfall. As you get to the bottom of the steps and we get there, be sure to look over to your right, the tunnel that the river flows through. We saw that. And from the tunnel, turn left and follow the river around the corner to get your first glimpse of the falls. And that was our first glimpse <laughs> of Folly Dolly Falls. And, um, you know, stunned. <laughs> <We> could, uh, <laughs> 
We just heard this trickle, this little trickle of water. And of course it had dried up because of all the, all the droughts. And Ellie kindly put her hand on my shoulder and said, are you going to put your rock shoes on then, Francis? <laughs> you always need that moment, don't you, of, of, of encouragement when you're feeling a little disappointed. Because I was expecting to, you know, to bathe in this waterfall. There'd be lots of, yeah, it'd be great fun. But that was folly Dolly Falls. Um, but I tell you what, when we approach God's throne of grace and mercy, we're never disappointed. This is no folly, Dolly Falls. The torrent of his rich mercy and kindness will never run dry. The peak flow over Niagara Falls was once recorded at 6,400 cubic metres per second. The average flow is 2,400 cubic metres. That's 2,400 litres of water per second. 2,400 tonnes of water per second. The equivalent of an Olympic swimming pool of water per second and imagine if all of the mercy you need in a day is one glass and you go up to the side of Niagara Falls with your glass and you hold your glass into the water and that's his mercies in you every morning that's the richness and that is, that is not even touching his mercy that illustration doesn't even touch the richness and the abundance of his mercy and kindness towards you because it is infinite and it is every day. I wonder if you need to sit under the waterfall of God's mercy and kindness today. Take your glass and fill it and drink from his mercy and kindness. If you need forgiveness, his waterfall of mercy and kindness is there for you today. His mercies are new every morning. If you need help to overcome temptation, his waterfall of mercy is there. If you're suffering, his waterfall of kindness is there for you. If you need help in your job, in your relationships, in your finances, if you're concerned now, come to him. We all know how concerning things are right now. Let's come to him. Let's come to him. Let's cry out to God to have mercy like the blind beggar, like the lepers, like the widow. Lord, have mercy. We can do that today. To finish, I just want to address briefly one question which could be a sermon series in itself, but when we call out to God for his mercy and nothing seems to happen, nothing seems to happen, and I understand, we understand how difficult that is, and it, as I say, it could, it, it's so much you could say on this, but We've pleaded with God to end our suffering. We've come in faith and we've called out to God. We've stood at that waterfall. But the situation hasn't changed. That issue has not been resolved. Firstly, it's completely understandable to feel disappointed, to feel frustrated, to feel confused, even angry in those situations, to feel upset. And there's no trite or easy answers. But we can take our lead from the Scriptures. And Paul the Apostle, who wrote this book to the Ephesian church, said exactly these words. He spoke of God's mercy in Ephesians, but he also spoke of his thorn in the flesh. We know not what it is, but it caused him great suffering. And he wanted God to show him mercy. He wanted this thorn to be taken away. And three times the great Apostle pleads with the Lord to take away, to remove this thorn. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. 
But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. God showed him mercy by showing him and filling him with his grace and his power. But he didn't remove the thorn in his flesh. But God was merciful to him. And my power is made perfect in your weakness. And also Paul recognised that his suffering was nothing compared with the glory that was to be revealed in eternity that he would enjoy. And then we read the parable of the persistent widow. We're encouraged in reading that not to give up praying. She kept on knocking. And the judge eventually said, I will, I will give her justice. I will give her justice. And that's an encouragement and a call to keep on praying because prayer gives us hope. Because we're calling on the one who is able and our hearts are filled with hope. We also receive his abundant grace. So what do you need mercy for today? What do you need to receive God's kindness for today? Whatever your situation, God's abundant mercy and kindness is for you today. You can receive that. The one who threw the stars into the sky pours out his mercy to you. I wonder if you need to change your view of God as a harsh judge to one of a compassionate father who loves to show you mercy. Perhaps you're struggling with temptation today or you've got yourself into a situation that you can just see no way out of. Come to God who's rich in mercy. Or maybe actually you're in a judo match and you've been wrestling with God and you need to cry matter, I give up. You need to tap the ground twice and say, Lord, I know I need to repent. I know I need to say sorry for my sin. Come into my life. Maybe that's you this morning, afternoon, evening, whenever. (laughs) But we need to come to him for his mercy. A few um, years ago, Patsy Wyatt used to come along to this church. They've since moved away. But uh, Patsy gave me a verse of a song, wrote it in a card actually, which I've still got. A waterfall is on the front of the card. Um, and these are the verse of the song that I just want to finish with. And maybe you could close your eyes and just hear these words for you. They're written by Charles Wesley. Arise, my soul, arise. Shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Before the throne my surety stands, my name is written on his hands. My God is reconciled, his pardon voice I hear. He owns me for his child, I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh, and Father, Abba, Father, cry. Let's arise. Let's approach his throne of grace and mercy today, for we do not come to a trickling folly dolly falls. We come to the abundant and powerful Niagara Falls of his mercy and grace. Amen. 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 Richard.